0: us that we can be loved and that we can be cared. Uh, last week we looked at the story of, of, of Paul and one of the world's worst people. We would put him on our list of terrible people of history until he changed but he said he was the worst person that he could think of and God's love changed him and so he writes about uh, the power of, of, of that change and how it takes shape in people, and he writes about it in a letter to a church in what would now be modern-day Turkey, but in those days was called Galatia, and he wrote these words, which are very famous. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no such law. It's really important that he's contrasting the kind of life that the people then thought they had to have, which was all about human effort and the the need to have to do things properly uh, versus this life lived allowing God to, to fill and shape our actions and words so that we increasingly do the sort of thing that Jesus Christ would have done because he too was filled with the Holy Spirit. And we would do them in the way in which Christ can be, well, you know, they're there, or we can do the right thing, but actually we're doing it out of a spirit of churlishness or obligation that that's what I had to do because I'm a Christian. Oh, it's so hard being a Christian. Anyone ever done that? Just me. Okay, fine. Um, Right, okay. So it's important, actually, because we're supposed, to be, uh, we're supposed to be different, aren't we? And it's not like you can copy this set of rules down and say, oh, when somebody says this to me, oh, we'll look up the Bible and see what Jesus said so that I know what to say back. It would be handy, but we'd have a little book in our hands all the time, wouldn't we? And we'd probably have a special book for one person and a different book for another person. Look at how Jesus dealt with people. He didn't deal with them in a sort of a one-size-fits-all kind of way. It's a lovely thing. If you think about the ways, there were several people he cured of blindness. One of them he just spoke to the person and said, I want you to see. The next person, he touched their eyelids. The next one, he spat on the floor, made some mud, and then shoved that in their eyes. Which method shall we use? How are we going to be authentically Christ-like? And it's important because these, this list of fruit of the Spirit is important. It's about how we interact, how we allow God uh, to work within us. How we are shaped and formed by him rather than uh, a legalistic, surrounded by that. Everywhere we go there are policies and rules and laws that say you can't do this or you have to do that. And that's well and good, but wouldn't it be nice if people loved one another so much that we didn't need to have to write it down? God's love for us, his spirit for us, transcends and supersedes that. It's better than anything that we could come up with. That's what we're called to be. So this fruit of the Christian life, this fruit of the spirit of the Christian life, looks at several things. And over the next few weeks, we'll see it's about partly about how we interact with God love joy and peace those are things that are about our relationship with god our relationship with others patience kindness and goodness try being kind to somebody you don't really love not very easy is it we need to have that in us it's important it's about our social relationships and then it's also about who we are faithfulness gentleness self-control who how we manage ourselves in in a world that's often set against us and the other thing about this list is that it's not simply a list from which we pick the ones that we like most. I want to be Mr. Self-Control. And that would be really good. We'd have a load of churches full of Christians that were like really rigid and uptight about stuff. Now I don't think we want that. I don't think that's what we're looking for. I don't think all of it. We can't just pick the ones we like and we can't just ignore the ones we're not good at. Patience. Don't pray for patience. You'll end up in a traffic jam instantly. Just, just, you know, be careful. It's all about who we are. It's about shaping us. Because what what Paul writes in this letter is rather than trying to do things by the book, the book is really, really useful. It It helps shape us. But it shapes us according to God's will and character with his spirit. If you think about it, this week, Northern Ireland has banned a, 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 an American pastor whose LGBT views are so strong and so vehement, it's hard, looking, looking at the article, it's hard to look at this book and hear what this chap's saying and understand where is he coming from? Where's the love? Where's the, where's, how's he shaping his world around him? What, what's the message that he's sending? We're to be shaped by this word and by the Spirit, so we want to come around to this thought that Paul, in chapter two, verse eighteen, says that this is the life of Jesus Christ at work within us. Well, there's, there's there's a huge privilege straight away, and as God's children, children of God, for chapter four, uh, God's purpose is to form us into the likeness of His Son. Our starting point, the new creation. For, to be like Christ, there's a better you out there. Don't worry, there's a better me as well. But there's, you know, that's that's what this purpose is driving at. What, what God is driving at is who you were intent, who He intended you to be, who He imagined you could be, and our journey of recovery towards that. But let's think about how, in our current world, in our situation, how might we know that we are loved? Somebody says some kind words to you. You might get a card on your birthday or other significant events or dates in your life. Uh, Somebody might just smile at you when you need it. Smiles are so powerful, aren't they? You might have kept hold of a letter that was so precious and perhaps they are gone, but their words are still there. Their feelings towards us are held in perpetuity in words. Somebody may comfort you. Somebody may just say, you know what? I was really impressed with what you did then. You handled that really well. I'm proud of you. You might have made some time to have a great day out. Or you might just need a cozy night in. And you might just want somebody to listen to you for a change. That's interesting, the things that we look at and what we look for about how we know that we're loved. And the difficult thing, perhaps, when we're talking in Christianity And those things that he does for us those those things don't always tally up and and so John has this challenge in his letter to the church about how people can remind themselves that love is what God is about it's come from him and it's for them God he writes is love love comes from God these invisible qualities that we see in the actions of others around us are actually things that we're supposed to allow to grow among, within us as well. And he talks about how they are to love one another. Let us love one another, verse 7, for love comes from God. It's a quality of him, it's one of his qualities, that's demonstrated and visible in his people. It's something that shapes them and their relationships, their conversation, the way they handle uh, difficulties in their life, the way they celebrate uh, great things together. How they speak and how they look after one another, it's tangible in the people that God loves and the people that know God loves them. And it's what they're known for. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Oh God, because God is love. Now, that's a bold statement to make, isn't it? Because love is a really important theme in our world. Love, how can we dare to define it? How could we say what love is? That's quite a counter-cultural thing to, to try to shift, isn't it? Love is important. Everyone agrees about that, pretty much. And yet we're saying there's a quality to it, which... Extends. There's, there's some notion, there's some part of love which goes beyond what the world understands about love and it shapes and defines those people in relationship with God in a different way. The people around us uh, have got all sorts of ideas about what love is. Here's, here's a picture. This was a Pepsi campaign that. that um, they ran last year, and it was it was a it was a really interesting, very diverse and inclusive advertisement. Lots of people from clearly lots of different backgrounds in terms of sexuality and identity politics. It was all of those things that we wanted. And and the opposition to it was that this this revolution couldn't be stopped, and that those who were trying to stop it could be won over with a can of Pepsi. It's, you know, that's just it's just so trite. It's just so trite, isn't it? Of, well, you know, I like Pepsi, you know, but it doesn't solve all of the world's problems. It's not going to solve much except slaking thirst. And so one of the things that it, we, the world, uh, that the version of love that they have, which is diverse and whatever you want it to be, actually it starts to jar. And that their version of, and that the world's version of love, which, the, which, which society says will solve everything, it's actually quite problematic One of the things we spot, if we're reading the news and we're following uh, politics, and and particularly uh, some of these issues, is that love has become quite nuanced. Love has actually started to become quite nuanced, and and what we call sort of intersectionality. In in our postmodern age, nobody understands me unless they've been through the stuff I've been through. And the only people that I will listen to are the people like me. And I don't accept any authority except that outside myself. And love has suddenly become this really exclusive, finely tuned notion. And at at, at root is, I can only love people like me. I can't cope with people not like me. And at the base of that, I'm sure, is all sorts of hurt and torment and difficulty and struggle. It's not a judgment comment at all, but at the base of it is, I'm in a pit, and I can only see this much. I can't see all the things coming in from the side. And it's really hard. But that's what love now looks like. It's presented, defined. This is not the same as that. This is not the same as that. And and it becomes quite layered. And love, in fact, is something that we ought to contend for because it's what we're about. We ought to be able to say, that's great, but how are we going to engage? How are we going to 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 talk about love in a powerful way, in a meaningful way, and how is God's love better than the kind of love that gets trited around in Pepsi adverts? That's the challenge for us, isn't it? That's the challenge. Well, let's think about love. Let's think about what God's love is like. This, verse 9, this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. We kind of want to end there, really, don't we? That's it. There's a quality to God's love that is different. God has a love for his creation that he made. God has a love for the people that he populated the earth with. God loved a particular group of people. He chose them in order that he might use them to demonstrate his love to all the people around them so that the people around them could understand what God was like in their terms, that all the nations around ancient Israel would say, their God's better than ours, he's much more loving, he doesn't ask for sacrifice. God loved people even though they turned their backs, our backs, on him. He kept on loving us, kept on pursuing this, 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 because we are the apples of his eyes, the things about which he is most concerned. It's really important. And God's love, a love like that, is wholly different from the love the world wants to talk about and put on the sides of buses and put on posters in colleges. The love that God has is different because God is wholly different and other than we could even imagine. In fact, we can be accused of forgetting God is literally something else. He's completely other than us. and uh, he's, he's nothing like you or me, thankfully. He's beyond that. He's limitless, he's eternal. His, his, his expanse for us is enormous. We can't comprehend it. we can't get our heads around it. It's enormous. It's unfathomable. We can't plumb it. We can't find the depths of it. He's nothing like us. He's holy. He's pure. He is completely other. And so his love has a different quality to it and one of the key things that I think I want to get across today is that his love crosses bound and deserved towards us his love is extravagant towards us because his love is abundant towards us it's limitless and you will pour it out as much as you want to have he will keep on giving us love the words that uh, John uses the word that Paul uses in that list about love is the word agape. And it's a love that is just extravagantly poured out towards his people. It's God's quality. It's one of his characteristics towards us. It's his action towards us. Abundant and in every circumstance. Immeasurable, uncontainable, sometimes surprising, tender when it needs to be, powerful when you're not expecting it. He wants to pour out his love to us. And because he is completely other, and because we are completely not like him, that's the difference between his love and the love that we have. We are recipients of God's love, which transcends anything that we can imagine, which is bigger than we can think of and can help us in any circumstance. Love is different. Jesus talked to his disciples and said, what is it if you love your family? Even pagans do that. What I'm asking familiar with, what we're able to do ourselves, it takes us into a, a different kind of set of relationships, both with God and with other people. It passes over the gap between God and us and fills the void of who we are so that we can be little pots of God's love to the people around us. We can overflow and and bless and be kind and gentle and patient and self-controlled and faithful. God's holy love came to us when we were in sin, when we weren't deserving, when we had a stack of debts that God wanted to deal with that were getting in the way. He wrote them off on the cross. He said, here you go, fresh start in the resurrection. He gives us life. And his love is sacrificial, so it doesn't always count what it's going to cost. He knows what's going to happen, but he still does it. One of my favorite reminders of this is when it comes around to blackberry picking. I love blackberries, but goodness me, I hate thorns. And yet every blackberry will cut my hand. God's love says, I love blackberries, but I'm prepared to be cut. And that's how sacrificial it is and sometimes we need that mindset to say yeah this is going to hurt but they need to know that they're loved people need to know that they're loved because at the moment they're struggling with and that he can give them hope that they can bring peace as we're passing away all sorts of things that God just wants to be part of and enable us to strengthen and just let people know that they are loved and that God has done what it takes to bring them and so we need an attitude we need a heart don't we that says how can i love how do I love? Am I defined and shaped by love? Are the people around me influenced by the love of God in me? Are they influenced whether they deserve it or not? Do we treat people according to how they, uh, how they treat us? The Bible says that God doesn't treat us as our sins deserve. Are we prepared to treat people as they don't deserve do we love people whether they like us or not? Whether they want to be loved? Are we prepared sometimes to bear that pain? Because John writes later on in this, in this chunk that that love that God has for us overwhelms and quashes the fear that we have about what we do. It overwhelms the fear of being seen by people who don't of little or who are of little account. So that we do the right thing before God. So that we do the loving thing in God's eyes. So that we do the thing that we're not worried about. And we allow God to work in us. And it shapes us. And it shapes the people around us. It's what we should be known for. It's what Christians are supposed to be accounted for. It says that in that letter too. So how, in a moment of quiet, How will the word love shape and define you and your actions this week? Shall we pray? Father, as we're still, just pray that your spirit would speak to us. Think about the relationships and things we have before us to do. Pray that you would help us overcome the fear. Love comes from you. It's not something we can conjure up. We pray that you would infill us. Remind us that we are loved. And Lord, we pray you'll bless us as we seek to live out your life here. Amen. Amen.
1: Thank you, Matt, which says, This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. At the start of his letter, John says this, If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, God is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Let's just have a moment of quiet and then we will acknowledge our need of his forgiveness and thank him for it. So let's pray together. Lord God, we have sinned against you. We have done evil in your sight. We are sorry and repent. Have mercy on us according to your love. Wash away our wrongdoing and cleanse us from our sin. Renew a right spirit within us and restore us to the joy of your salvation through Jesus Christ our Lord. All who truly repent, have mercy upon us, pardon and deliver us from all our sins, confirm and strengthen us in all goodness, and keep us in life eternal, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. We're going to stand and sing. Acknowledging how much our wonderful God has given us.